The book of Amos, starting in chapter 6. And this chapter, Amos is going to continue um, bringing the sins of Israel particularly, but he, he mentions Judah here as well, and the nations around them, um, before their faces, so that they understand that they have gone very far from God. And to talk about the judgment of God that is coming. And so he starts out, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria, the distinguished men of the foremost of nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. So he's saying the, the leadership of the people of God are at ease in living you know, a, a prosperous worldly life, instead of taking seriously that they represent God to the people. He goes on to say, you're no better than the, the nations around you. You're supposed to be a people of God, and they're not, but you're no better than them. He said, you're living completely carnally in your life. You're basically worshiping yourself and all your prosperity. You think you're a great song maker like David, but really you're just about your flesh. And David was not like that. You should be grieving. He says, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. So since Ephraim is uh, one of the sons of Joseph... And he's the head of the people of Israel. This basically represents the people, and, and specifically the head. So he says, you know, you've gone away. You should be grieving. Therefore they will now go into exile at the head of the exiles, and the sprawler's banqueting will pass away. God's, remember, these are the people of God. But God says, I loathe the arrogance of Jacob and detest his citadels. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all it contains. God doesn't want a people just so they have their, his name stamped on them. He wants a people that live according to his way, that take on his nature, his character, his likeness. He says he will smash both, both small house and great. So a lot of times the, the rich think they won't be hurt even if a country is conquered. It'll just be the poor people that suffer the most. But he's saying everyone will be hurt. He tells them, you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodabar. That means basically nothing. 14, he says, for behold, I'm going to raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, God of hosts, and they will afflict you with the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Arabah. So he says, I'm going to bring, he doesn't mention Assyria here, but Assyria is going to be the nation that destroys them. And he says, that is going to be your final judgment. And then we're on to chapter 7. And we're entering into the vision portion of Amos. So that's mostly what the last three uh, chapters are. And God shows him a locust swarm. So similar to Joel here. And he's, he shows him the spring crop beginning to sprout and the locusts just de uh, devastate them. And so Amos says, Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand for he is small? And so the Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is kind of a cool thing. We see this many times throughout scripture. Both Abraham and Moses did it where they changed the mind of God on what he was planning on doing. Now, we're not going to change the major purposes of God, but he cares for us. And so when we live according to him, he, he cares for our desires. So long as it fits in his greater plan, um, he, from time to time, he can be swayed. And so that, I don't know, that's, that's special to me. It's, you know, if you have a son and they come to you and they want something, well, it, it depends. Is it 
good for them, bad for them. Good for the family, bad for the family. If it's it's sort of neither, it's not a big deal either way. If it's something bad that's going to hurt your child or the family or anyone, you're not going to let them do it. But if it's something that doesn't really affect the goals of the family, the upbringing of the child, well, then it's your great joy to give them what they want, right? Well, we see that similarly here with God. And then the Lord shows him a great fire, a huge fire, consuming all the land and the farmland. And so again, Amos says, Lord God, please stop. How can Jacob stand? For he is small. And so again, the Lord changed his mind. He says, this too shall not be. 7 says, Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. So a plumb line is a, is a thing that they used when they were making a building. They would pull the line out, and the, so the plumb line would be probably like a string or a rope. And it, it's straight by nature. If you pull it tight, it's going to be straight. And so that's how you knew to build your house straight, so you didn't go off in weird curves because everything was lined up according to the plumb line. So Zechariah has a more famous verse about plumb line in it. Um, but this is, this is meaning living according to God's way, measuring ourselves as, as considered by or in contrast to or in accordance to God's way, his plumb line. So the Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So remember, Jeroboam is their very successful king, and he's been a great conqueror and a very prosperous nation. And he's saying, I will spare no one. I will devastate this land. And then we, let's see, verse 10. So word's getting out that, uh, you know, Amos is preaching these things, right? So he's preaching them in Bethel. And the priest there is named Amaziah. So he sends word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. So Amaziah says to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. And Amos replies back, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophecy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying, You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. So Amos does not hold back. This guy, Amaziah, he would be a powerful guy. He's the priest of the, one of these major, one of these two major, um, uh, you know, uh, priestly cities. I don't know what to call it. Uh, they have two major cities where they put up the, the calf, the, you know, the idol for them to worship. And apparently this is the main one because God sent Amos to this one. And so he's there prophesying. And so it's not the capital, but it's the capital of their religious ways. And 
Amazia is, you know, calling him a, a seer and a prophet. And he says, I'm not that. I, you know, he, he's contrasting himself with the religious ways of others. He says, I'm a farmer. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not after your ways. The father's a prophet, so the son's a prophet, and you just make stuff up. I was just being a happy farmer. and But God himself said to me, come and prophesy against this. And since you are against this way, and he, he prophesies a terrible thing <laughs> against him about his family. He says, you stand in the way of God? Um, you know, when a religious person stands in the way of God, he's supposed to be representing God, but instead he represents uh, establish uh, systems that's something God considers a great evil and so he he speaks to him quite severely and then we're on to chapter and God gives Amos another vision and he says what do you see Amos a basket of summer fruit then the Lord said to me the end is come for my people Israel I will spare them no longer the songs of the palace will turn to wailing in that day Many will be the corpses in every place that will cast them forth in silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy, to do away with the humble of the land. Saying, so the people, the kind of the the leaders, you know, in this case, it's just prosperous merchants who take advantage of the poorer people, and they're saying things like, "When will the new moon be over?" Remember, they're supposed to worship according to the law of Moses. They're supposed to uh, worship the Lord on new moons and on Sabbaths. He says, when will the new moon be over? And so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may open the wheat market. So they're not worshiping the Lord on those days. They're just angry that they have to not be open for business on those days. To make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger. So they're cheating the people with dishonest scales. So as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. So they're mixing in dirt with the wheat and selling it. And they're enslaving the poor people. And God says, I will not forget their deeds. Because of this, will not the land quake and everyone who dwells in it mourn? Indeed, all of it will rise up like the Nile and it will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Then I will turn your festivals into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring sackcloth to everyone's loins and baldness on every head. And I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son. At the end of it will be a bitter day. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, who say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall and not rise again. So this is a really powerful word. There's some very famous verses in here. The Lord says, I'm not going to forget what they're doing, and they will face judgment because of it. He says, I will so upend your earth that when you expect it to be daytime, it will be night. And when you expect it to be night, it will be day. Basically, I'm going to flip everything upside down. Everything you understand uh, will be gone. Your festivals, when you're supposed to be celebrating, when you enjoy celebrating, you're going to be mourning instead. You're going to be lamenting. Remember, God wants to raise many sons. That's what he told Adam and Eve be fruitful and multiply, that they would become his family. That's what he made Jesus, so that Jesus could be the first of many sons. 
well, this is in between those things, but he says, and I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son. He's like, you're my people. I don't want to do this to you. I want you to be my people, but instead you're going another way. And so it, it, it will be like mourning, as if you lost your only son. How bitter would that be? Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. So he, he, he says, I will have my way, and you're not living according to my way. So in order to preserve my way, I will destroy you because you're supposed to be a people of God, and I will not allow you to represent me any longer. And then we'll go to the last chapter, chapter 9. He continues on with this, and you can read it for yourself, but he's talking about he's going to smite them. He says there will be no escape. This is interesting. In in, uh, verse 3, he says, From there I will command the serpent, and it will bite them. If you remember in uh, Moses, I think it's in Numbers, but I'm not positive. Um, In the time of the wilderness, uh, God sent a lot of uh, snakes, serpents, to bite the people. And they pleaded for God, and God made a bronze snake so that if they looked up to the snake, they would be healed and would not die. This is to represent Christ. And um, and so there's a similar thing here, that God's bringing his judgment against the people so that they're basically... They all of a sudden know they were living according to a way of death before. But once this judgment comes, they will know that they're living according to death. And that gives them the opportunity to look up and change direction and go the way of God. He says that, you know, therefore I will command the sword and it will slay them. And I will set my eyes against them for evil, and not for good. So again, he's talking destruction. And he says who he is. Is the one who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and has founded his vaulted dome over the earth. He who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So he's saying, look, I'm the creator of everything and I've made you my people and you've turned away from me. He says, are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel? Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Arameans from Kerr? Behold, the the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. She says, you're no different from the other nations of the earth. You're supposed to be my people. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Do you forget this? He says, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve. But not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Those who say the calamity will not overtake or confront us. So he's saying, I will shake and it will be utter devastation, but I will leave a remnant. I just had a couple assistants join me. You want to say hi? Hi. And then the last, however many, what, like four or five verses he speaks so because it's been kind of you know judgment 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 for a while but then at the end he speaks to what is the purpose of all this god has a purpose and he says in that day i will raise up the fallen booth of david and the wall and wall up its breaches i will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of eden and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed, when the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. 
Also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. So he's talking about the kingdom that is to come, that we are entering into this age today. The uh, fallen booth of David, we know Jesus is the the shoot of Jesse. The He, he is the son of David in the natural. He's uh, takes on the mantle for the kingdom of David, so he brings upon the kingdom for us. He will raise up its ruins. So ruins mean the the thing that has kind of been destroyed and decrepit. He raises it up and rebuild it as in the days of old. And he will raise up, look, this is a big deal, not just Israel, because Israel and, and Judah, they saw themselves as the people of God, because they had been the people of God. But all along the way, God said through Moses and all the other prophets that Someday he would bring people from every nation. And the people tended to forget that. We see that in the in the time of Acts. That um, the, the Jewish believers, Peter and all the rest of them, had a really hard time understanding that the Gentiles would be equal in the kingdom with them. They, it was just so hard for them to understand. And But here is one of the many times when God says he will call people from every nation. So it will not just be the nation of Israel but it will be all that are called according to his name. Behold, the days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. This means that the, um, the there will be a bountiful harvest. I can't quite remember, but Jesus talks about like, behold, the, the fields are ripe with harvest and there's few workers. <laughs> it's like you're going to be able to harvest as much as you can. And so that's that's what this takes. When the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved, that people will be coming to the Lord in masses. Also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. So he says, the people that I have brought through great difficulty, I will restore some of them, that they will come out. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. So they will retake their place, but they will live according to my way and not their old their old way, which was their own way. And they will also plant vineyards and drink their wine. So they will be blessed in this place when they live according to my way, in my garden. I'm going to take them back to a Garden of Eden reality and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them. Again, we look at the promised land being a picture of a heavenly reality, a heavenly kingdom and our place within it. Our place between two worlds, the throne room of God and the earthly existence being our our land, that we are called to this reality of shepherding and stewarding the reality of God, the kingdom of God on this earth. That is what he calls us to, that is what he promises over and over again in scripture, and that is what he's doing in our age. We are blessed, all those that seek him above all else, only him, not our own ways. Thank you, Lord. And that's it for today. God bless you.